This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. It's a wonderful account in Scripture, Acts 6. And we, um, if you've if you've been around churches for a while, then there's kind of an an image that comes to mind of um, deacons and elders as being sort of dottery old people who, um, uh, by virtue of having achieved um, some grand age, are uh, given some recognition in the church that, uh, that in many cases for deacons just comes down to a bunch of menial sort of tasks. And this shouldn't be the case because a deacon is far from that biblically and uh, and so is an elder, very far from that. So what we should do, rather than take this modern day application, uh, we're much better off to go back and see the struggles and the difficulties of the the New Testament church and the uh, times of the writings of Scripture and see what the church did and how they approached these kinds of issues. And when we come into Acts chapter 6, we come into a time when the church was going through some struggles, if you see in verse 1 of Acts chapter 6, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists or the Greeks arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. Now, I I think right from the outset of the way that this problem is approached, this is a rebuke to the modern church in many senses (coughs) because here is a task that at the surface level would appear to be a somewhat mundane kind of task, um, something that just needs to be done because it needs to be done. And in this case, it's a distribution of care to those who are being neglected. And uh, this distribution of care, um, for this to take place, they say to the church, pick out from among you seven men who have good reputation, who are full of the spirit and full of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Verse 5, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Hallelujah. Now, Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you for this text. And Lord, we thank you especially uh, for the book of Acts, Lord God, and this record of how the early church uh, developed, how you led those early believers with, with so few resources compared to what we have today, Lord God. And yet, probably because of the many material lacks and resource lack that they had, probably because of that, the obvious need was to call out upon you and to rely upon you, even down to a task given to people within the church, such as distributing 
food to those in need, that they would seek you for the right people for this task. So we thank you, Lord God, for this demonstration from the early church to always seek you first in everything. We praise you for this. Lord, help us also to take this on, not only as a church, but in our own lives, to seek you with all our hearts. Amen. Praise God. So the church at this point is experiencing some growing pains and uh, things were a little bit different, difficult. And so the Grecians, uh, these were not simply Greek people, but they were people who were Greek-speaking Jews who had come to Palestine uh, or Israel um, from other nations. And therefore, Hebrew may not have been, or even Aramaic may not have been their foundational language that they had in many cases. And uh, the fact that they were uh, seen to be being treated as if they were outsiders and being neglected. And this created a bit of a situation in the church that was dividing the church. And so, rather than uh, hide away from this issue, the church adopts this mentality to it. Here is the need. How can we deal with this need that is at hand? And so the leaders... Uh, of the the church there, they say, you know, we have a job to do. Our job is that we would be in prayer and that we would minister the word of God. So church, choose people who can function in this, uh, this role. We want you to choose faithful people filled with the spirit and with wisdom. And that is the requirement for them. So let's think about the modern mentality that strikes the church because the modern church largely has a wrong mentality. And we mentioned earlier, we, we read from Revelation chapter 2 uh, when we sang that beautiful song, There's a New Name Written Down in Glory. Um, when we sang that, as we read out of Revelation 2, 12 through 17, I think, um, we came across the name of a group of people called the Nicolaitans. And if you do... A word search for the Nicolaitans only appear in Revelation chapter 2 and there is not much information about them. There's no uh, no other text to unlock who the Nicolaitans were and there are some uh, extra biblical sources that, that may give some indication. That's about it. But within the word Nicolaitans, and, and this is why when you... When you re- Read it carefully, you'll see that the back half of the word L-A-I-T-A-N-S, Laetans. It's not Latians, that'd be L-A-T-I-A-N-S. And so the reason this is important is because with the word Nicolaitans, you get that portion of the word laity in there. And so there's an indication from the word that uh, and the word Nico or the first part Nico is possibly ruler, and so you have ruler and laity uh, within the word. And so the word indicates that quite probably the Nicolaitans were a group of people who were conducting what we've come to call in this day and age this practice of heavy shepherding, that there had been a division in their mentality between those who are in rulership over the church and those who are down below and down through history as you get into the development of the Roman Catholic Church and its uh, procedures that it put into place and then you go right down through the Reformation and the Protestant era. Much of Protestantism that pulled out of the Catholic Church still maintained some or, or even many of the practices of Catholicism, and one of those practices that was very strong in early Protestantism uh, was a clergy-laity mentality within the church. And it's quite a dangerous thing because it has problems all round. It creates a problem of feelings of superiority from, from for some people. It creates a problem of feelings of inferiority for other people, all different kinds of things that happen. And So we have a church here instead that is saying 
that these so-called tasks of distributing food, they're not small tasks and we need people who will be wise, who will be spirit-guided and who will be uh, uh, faithful people to be involved in this. This is so the opposite to the way in which the church functions today because today we look for a menial task and we think if we give that menial task to brother or sister so-and-so, maybe it'll make them come to church more often. Maybe they'll feel responsible to it and they'll come to church more often. Whereas, just like Paul, when he writes to Timothy about elders and bishops and deacons, just like him... He says that in order to begin choosing people for ministry, especially ministries where there is some oversight and some leadership, in order to choose those people, you firstly are looking for people that display faithfulness in the beginning. We're not trying to entice people into faithfulness. And so, uh, you know, this idea, if we give brother so-and-so a ministry, it'll keep him busy um, it'll give him a feeling of welcomeness or, or responsibility or participation um, or may keep him out of our hair for a while. Um, you know, this is the wrong thinking. And the office of a deacon is not simply someone who who notices that the pen supply is down and gets more pens, you know. This is not the office of a deacon. The deacon is ministering into, yes, administrative functions within the church but the office of a deacon is directly from the word in the Greek diakonos and this word simply means a servant. So the office of a deacon is someone who serves in their life. They use their life as an opportunity to serve and this is why the church leaders say said to the congregation look for people who are faithful first. Because that is a, an essential requirement of serving. Serving is born out of hearts of faithfulness. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Stephen, uh, verse 8, if you go down to there, it says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. I would hazard a guess that this man is not your average deacon. That would be my guess. I like Stephen. I love, I love Stephen. I don't think I've ever met a deacon like that before. In fact, in today's church, we'd probably say um, one of two things. Um, if the church was of, of evangelistic thrust and focus, we'd probably say, let's send that man overseas to be a missionary um, and get him gone into, into some area of, of uh, missionary service because... He's wasted here. Um, or we might say, this man is too enthusiastic. Um, we need to marginalise him a little because of the enthusiasm that he shows. He's too radical. Um, he goes out on the streets. Be careful of him. You know, he goes out witnessing and and uh, he gets a sense of the Spirit leading him in conversations and he moves with that leading and direction and uh, we better take control of this before he embarrasses us as a church. But Stephen is actually more of a biblical model of a deacon than you and I uh, would really be reminded of today in, in many churches. First Timothy chapter 3 verse... Eight. Likewise, deacons. Likewise must the deacon be grave or serious, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. 
And let these also be, be first proved. And then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so, must their wives be grave, not in a grave. Grave means serious, right? Not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and a great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. This is a really interesting statement, isn't it, by Paul, because Paul says that a a wise and devoted deacon, he gains a purchase for himself, and this purchase includes a boldness in the faith, a boldness in his walk with God. This is a wonderful thing. So, this is the biblical model of a deacon. We've got Stephen in Acts chapters 6 and 7, and we've got Timothy, uh, the book of Timothy, and, and Paul writing to Timothy, uh, and we see these descriptions, and we can see in Timothy that Paul, who's not on the scene yet uh, in Acts chapter 6 as an apostle, Paul is behaving in such a way as he writes to Timothy and giving instruction that mirrors the way in which the church was instructed in Acts chapter 6 and responded in Acts chapter 6 uh, in the way that they chose Stephen for ministry to the church. Well, I believe that this is far removed from the practice of Christianity today. And, uh, you know, in, in this day and age, we've got homosexual clergy, um, we've got insane discussions taking place in mainstream Christianity where ministers are saying that it's okay for Christians to be a homosexual as long as they don't practice it. And, you know, rather than preach a gospel of repentance... Um, and a message of repentance and true liberty from the bondage of such sins, we want to try and deal with people in a psychological manner and try to give them an opportunity to be able to live mentally with the born-in-sin condition that they have or born-in-homosexuality condition that they believe they have because of the indoctrination of the last 30 or so years, rather than confronting them with the gospel, a gospel that introduces to us the idea of repentance and transformation in Christ Jesus and becoming a new creature. And so you can see that far apart from the way in which the church is behaving today, look at how this New Testament church behaved both in the book of Acts and was instructed in the letter of Timothy. And so, oftentimes a person is promoted into a position of a deacon because we just want someone to to print a newsletter. By the way, we'd love to put together a bulletin every month that tells people what's happening because we're pretty hopeless. So if you have that skill, be prayerful about it and uh, let's see if God can use you. But the major cause of not having biblical deacons, I think, in, in most cases, is that people are put in a position and then we ask them to live that way. Rather than looking for people, Paul, Paul says the opposite, look for people who have these qualities. Then put them into that position prayerfully. This is, it functions the opposite way around. You know, and, and so we're, we're so geared to the surface level today. The, the world has become very shallow in relationships and shallow even in our own behaviors and thinking that, that today we see a need and we think, oh, we'll put that person in there and that will give them a sense of belonging and, and it'll, it'll bring things out of them. But we should be looking for the things that are in them, first of all. You see, God does not look on the outside. 
God looks on the inside. This is the, the story of Jesse's children and the choosing of, of David. That, you know, David was just the runt child and there's all kinds of theories about David and why uh, he kept n- not even being considered. And I don't think it was simply because he was the youngest. There is a lot of different uh, possibilities as to why David was not even considered by his father until absolutely pressed. There's someone here. Someone, have you got another one? Have you got another one? Have you got another one? But you see, God then spoke to the prophet and he said, that man looks on the outside. Remember the prophet had said, surely the Lord's anointed is, is here. So, but God was teaching the prophet that, that he does not look on the outside. He looks on the inside. He's looking for something that is in the person. And this is the process that by the early church, this is the process that they're putting in place that if you look for people who display these characteristics beforehand, you will find people in whom is the stuff that the church needs. That the body of the congregation needs. This is really an important issue, you know, when we come down to things like evangelism and discipleship, uh, you know, w- within a congregation, this is an important issue because, because clearly Stephen was a fellow who had the mentality that this function was not his only function, that he was being chosen out to perform this role, but this was not his only role, that he believed himself to be called to preach the gospel and to preach that gospel in an open-air style, out on the street, uh, challenging people with with a presentation of the gospel. Because the biblical mentality of service is not that we look for people who have skills and talents, abilities, but we look for people who have faithfulness, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. Talent doesn't even make it on the list. Good looks doesn't make it on the list. Praise the Lord for that. You know, abilities, it doesn't make it on the list. Intellect doesn't make it on the list. Intellect and wisdom are two different things. I mean, you only have to listen to any political argument in this day and age by some very intelligent people to know that those intelligent people completely lack any form of wisdom. So wisdom is not a guarantee just because of intelligence. Wisdom is that right application of the, of the teachings of God, knowing how that application is to, is to come out in, in any given situation. Amen. Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom, that we may appoint over this business. Look for men of honest report. This, the meaning of this word honest report is people of character, that they have good character. It's summarized in uh, the NASB, or the ESB, sorry, as look out for people who are faithful. The ancient understanding of the word faithful was uh, tied into this character of manliness, that a man was considered manly if he was a faithful man. Being faithful were manly characteristics. And it wasn't about the uh, machoism and uh, things like that. It's not about how many tattoos a person can have on his bulging biceps and, and, uh, and stuff like that. That's not a character of manliness, not in any way. That may be, uh, you know, uh, a 
uh, bragging or boastful or whatever it might be. But it's not a character of manliness. Manliness is built on a foundation of honesty and faithfulness. That's where it's built upon, first of all, that a man has convictions about things and he stands by those things. He has convictions that are being formed in the Word of God and those convictions are the things by which he is living his life. There are many ways to test people's character, but you know, time is a great test for for people. And um, if there was an, an argument for why deacons and elders should be old people, time time is a good one because time gives that opportunity to really see people's lives. But Timothy was a young man, and by virtue of his position, he was an elder of a church, and he was a young man. And Paul wrote to him and said, don't let people despise your youth. Don't let that happen. And so the issue is not firstly a person's age, the issue is their faithfulness, their salvation, these, these are the, the foundational issues. What is the test of this person's character? And are they saved? And do they have in their lives a practical demonstration of biblical wisdom? Well, that first test, a man of honest report. This is the visible character. This is the question of what is my reputation before my friends, family, local church? What is my reputation before God, firstly? This is where the issue of being of honest report or of a faithful person really comes down to because, you know, Each of us could walk around with our head in the clouds. We could have a view of ourselves that is not only not biblical, but may not even be nestled in reality, you know. And we could could be avoiding uh, confronting the issues about ourselves that are required to be confronted in order for us to experience growth in a biblical manner. Now... Faithfulness can be demonstrated in many ways and obviously there can be, you know, um, uh, if we looked at it from a local church level, we could say people who turn up and these kinds of things. But I, I think if you get down to the more fundamental issues, you would get down to the application of church when we're not here. How do we, how do our lives mingle with one another when we're not just here on a Sunday? And is there any of that? Do we show concern for those who struggle? Sometimes we think, I'm not being used in ministry and it's because the church is not recognising my gifting. But it's really to be the other way around. First of all, we should demonstrate that we are faithful people and serve willingly without the desire for recognition with that but serve willingly so that we can find those opportunities for investing of our lives into the function of the local assembly of people and and I'm not just talking about Sunday morning I'm not talking about setting up the chairs and all that kind of stuff that's great if a few people want to chip in see Chris he can give you a list of things that need doing. He can show you everything, how to do it. and uh, you know. Th- but there are a few people who chip in and help with that. And so it's greatly appreciated. But there are things that extend outside of these walls. And that's really the important stuff. This is all, all this stuff that happens before church is just the mechanics of stuff. But the interaction of human relationship, the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and you and I being involved... Uh, as evangelists in the kingdom of God, that we would spread the gospel message. These are the important things. Have a look at Stephen's mentality. Head back to Acts chapter 6, verse 8. 
And Stephen, full of grace and power. This is a fantastic description of this man, isn't it? Full of grace and power. In this age in which gender thinking has uh, taken so much place, we often don't think of men as full of grace. We often think of ladies that way, you know, that, oh, you know, she, she is such a gracious person. But here's a, a description of a man, and we know this guy is not a coward, right? But he is filled with grace and power. Dynamis is the, the Greek word for power there. And uh, this is a power that Jesus promised would come with the fullness of the Holy Spirit upon a person's life. So Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freed men, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom. Who did they have to choose to be a deacon? Someone who was filled with wisdom. And the Spirit, who did they have to choose? Someone who was filled with the Spirit. They could not withstand the wisdom and the Spirit with which he was speaking. And they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. That's the, um, that's the whistleblower report there. Um, right there. They instigated some people to say, we heard this happen. So uh, I think Adam Schiff, is he, is he mentioned there? Shifty Schiff. Um, so let's not get distracted. They, they instigated some people to, uh, who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Against Moses means the law and against God, obviously. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up a false witness who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I do like Stephen, bro. I just think uh, I just think this is this is something for us to not to aim to be like Stephen, but to aim to have this life. And I'm firmly convinced that as a church now we're coming into an age, and there has been a couple of uh, bizarre, miraculous events on the political horizon that seem to have slowed the swelling tide of socialist and, and Marxist agenda, which is severely targeted against Christianity. Um, and without that temporary quelling of that tide, uh, you know, we'd see an even more vastly changed la- political, social uh, landscape than what we're seeing now. However, I, I think this is bringing us into a time and an opportunity where before God, we can demonstrate these characteristics. That we can say, Lord, I'm going to stand for you. For you first. And what the world thinks of of that is of no consideration to me. It's important in my eyes that I'm right in your eyes. What... What could that mean, beloved? It could mean that people stir up gossip about you. They could take one little comment that I've made in this sermon about homosexuality and they could say that I'm a homophobe and put me up on anti-vilification uh, 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 charges and, you know, my life, as I know it, could be over. I'm dismissed from my employer's uh, um, you know the whole thing. I work for the government. Uh, we get we get indoctrination fairly regularly about this kind of stuff, you know, and and we're supposed to be in support of this social change that is happening, and at least not voice dissent. 
And as has been proven around the world in Western countries, particularly those of the, of the Anglo-Saxon Christian heritage, which, which is a fantastic heritage that the West has inherited. Uh, it's, it's an amazing heritage that is worth being lauded. And so when you hear people constantly criticizing, uh, Anglo-Saxon, uh, Christian heritage, know that there must be something good about it, right? Because they're, they're trying to demean it so much. So don't hang your head in shame, first of all, because of the supposed evil history of the Anglo-Saxons, but first of all, investigate it objectively. Now, Stephen was a man who was intent on, on being faithful before God so that his life would be seen before God as pleasing him, first of all. And I love how uh, how chapter uh, 6 closes out and all that sat in the council. This is the elders and the leaders. They're all here. All the head honchos of the religious community are there to hear these accusations and condemn this man. Right? We heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and they shall change the customs which... And she'll change the customs which Moses delivered us and all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. This, this is sounding a little bit to me like a bit of a Moses experience here. Every time um, I preach on this kind of subject. I think, ah, oh, I should have had the Chinese characters ready. And so I'm going to say to you, I should have had the Chinese characters ready. The Chinese character for man, as you look at it, is just a, a line that curves down and another line that comes out like that. And you can kind of see a person walking in that character. That's, that's the image that you get. That's one of the simple characters for man. But if you take that man and you put two little marks around the head, these marks give movement to it and they give life to it and those marks at the top then make that word go from being man to fire. It's just an interesting thing, isn't it? And so when you think back to the book of Genesis and before the fall, Adam and Eve only knew they were naked after they sinned. And so it's been proposed by people that Adam and Eve were were actually clothed in the glory of God. That there was a radiance about them in their pre-sinful state that was a glorious radiance. And that's somehow represented in this character for, for man with two, they call them peats in Chinese, you know, yat peat, yat peat. So one, one peat on each side. And, uh, and so these give both action and life and they take this word from being a man to being fire. So imagine this glowing image. Peter, uh, Stephen, sorry. They, they're looking on him and they saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. I mean... That's, that's pretty darn awesome. Now, you know, this is, this is an amazing situation that's taking place and so often we just read over it and we just see the bits and pieces. They chose a faithful man and he went out and preached and, and the evil workers conspired against him and drummed up, um, the, the impeachment theory and they took him into the court and they uh, we're trying to impeach him over this to pronounce him uh, uh, guilty of, of a crime and as they turn around and they look at him in the dock they look at him and they see him and he's something's happened there and I, I just imagine it's like Moses you know that the people couldn't look on him because of the radiance of God's glory God was doing something in this situation I don't know about you, but the idea of such persecution does not fill me with um, this this eagerness. You know, I, I don't think Stephen walked out on this onto the streets to preach the gospel 
and that he, he was going, oh, ripper. I'm going, oh, I just can't wait to be persecuted and stoned to death. I've been looking forward to that all my life. Woo, can't wait for that. But what I do believe is that he said, God, my life's in your hands. Some In some way, and not necessarily in those words. I'm going to be faithful. And then as he came into this trial, and this is not a good situation uh, appearing before him, God is supernaturally working in this situation to make Stephen not only to be the first martyr, but to be a living witness in that circumstance. He went out on the streets with the gospel. He was just being faithful. And for his faithfulness, a religious crowd drummed up false accusations against him uh, via means of a whistleblower of some kind. Look at Acts chapter 7. And let's move down toward the end of the chapter. It's a long chapter. Stephen gets an opportunity right at the beginning of the chapter the high priest says are these things accurate or are these things so and Stephen begins to preach and he preaches a uh, you know a, a very snapshot view of script of biblical history and he uh, he talks directly to them And he comes down to verse 51 and he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Man, I just just think uh, this is some awesome preaching. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, verse 54, they were enraged. You can imagine why These are religiously devoted people, proud and arrogant, and these people, remember, were prepared to drum up a false charge against this man and suggest to some people, we need you to say this. Say that you've heard him saying these things, and then we'll follow it through from there. But but Stephen doesn't back down. He doesn't even say, it's a lie. It's a lie. You're persecuting me over a lie here. What these people have said is not true. He doesn't do that. Instead, he takes this as an opportunity to preach the gospel and then to confront the hardness of their hearts. He's not concerned about his own welfare. He's concerned about the glory of God. He's concerned about the gospel itself. And in verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him or gnashed, the King James says. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I mean, honestly, beloved, if you if you read the testimonies of the persecuted church, even in this modern era, you will see stories like this. And because we have a biblical account, I believe that in so many cases, the persecuted church experiences such a blessing of God in their lives in these circumstances that God would comfort them and strengthen them right at the height of this trouble that they face. And and we often are in the situation, oh, but if I say this, they're going to think I'm a religious nut. If I say this, everyone at work is going to ostracize me. If I say this, my mum will hate me. If I, if I say this, my brothers and sisters will reject me. We're, we're so worried about the present, about the here and now. 
Stephen's focus is entirely eternal. That's where it is. And saw Jesus at the right hand of God and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man, now he's rubbing it right in because he's just told him, you killed him. Which of the prophets didn't your ancestors persecute? I can see Jesus. The heavens are open and I see the Lord Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Uh, Sorry, uh, uh, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. This is because the Son of Man is this, this phrase that they knew was tied to the coming Messiah. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now Saul will later recount this situation. That, and this situation, I believe, is pivotal in Saul getting convicted about the state of his own heart and coming to Christ. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. So he's crying out again. And remember, we've talked so much as we went through our series um, uh, on true spirituality. We talked so much about the purpose of God out of Romans 8.29, that God is molding us and shaping us and conforming us into the image of Jesus. And here it is. There, I, I don't think in the New Testament there is a, a statement similar to this that is just such a representation of someone who in a moment is more reflective of Jesus than any other person. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep or he died. Yes. Yep. More or less. Yep. Amen. Do not lay this sin to his charge. Remember, we've said Romans eight twenty nine, for whom those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God used all these circumstances, and this was an accelerated program. Here, Stephen was being transformed into the image of Jesus right before them. Not not physically. He didn't look like Jesus, although he had an appearance like an angel, which is sometimes a reference to the Lord. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, among many brothers, Luke twenty three thirty four says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Doesn't that sound a lot like, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge? I think if we contrasted the life of Stephen and his apprenticeship as a deacon with with the most modern deacons, it would be black and white, chalk and cheese. Any euphemism you want to put in there, you can use oil and water. The two things would be entirely different. Entirely different. That's because it's for this simple thing that we, as modern churches, put so much focus on the external and looking for talents, abilities, skills, communication abilities, looks, whatever it is. We look for that which is on display where the early church and the Apostle Paul said, look for the hidden stuff. Look for the inner workings of God in a person's life. That's what needs to be looked for. A deacon chosen to serve the church 
And he goes out and performs signs and wonders, preaches the gospel, withstands a sham court, appears like an angel, pleads with the Lord not to lay this sin against their charge, and then dies. I don't even know if he served any food. But we should be wary of modern mentalities. We should take on the biblical mentality of service, be faithful, and then when we're looking for deacons, we should follow the biblical model of instruction and begin with faithfulness, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Begin with that, then go from there. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I love Stephen. I'm very convicted by Stephen, I think. Hallelujah. Now, Father, we thank you this morning. We praise you. We love you for all you've done for us in Christ Jesus. We love you that we've been able to gather here and fellowship. And Lord, as we continue on, uh, into our lunch together. Bless this time of fellowship and sharing together today. Lord, help us to go from here stirred uh, this morning and study up on the life of Stephen and study up in Timothy uh, regarding the apostles' instruction. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be filled with your Spirit in the sense that Jesus spoke of in Acts chapter 1, that we would have lives filled with power and help us, Lord, also to grow in wisdom that application of your word and your teachings. Hallelujah and amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.